0: psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death in the house of the Lord forever
1: good morning and welcome again Uh, thank you Evelyn for reading the scriptures Um, Daniel and Brandy it's really cute how close you guys were together I thought that was really sweet I don't know if you're sharing one chair or whatever but it it touched my heart Um, and thank you for Jen for leading It's good to be back. It's good to be back to preach, to bring his word to bear to you and to me. His word today, it brings hope for the wayward and succor for the ailing, rest for the weary, grace for the broken, justice for the wrong. It brings disruption to the proud. Sweet repentance and forgiveness for the rebel who will bend their knee and come to him. His word is a gift for us today, and his word is a gift to us today uh, in a way that um, shows forth his and its beauty. It's a very literary and, um, and uh, imaginistic side of our Lord, which is a big side of who our Lord is, as he is the creator of all beauty, and is the skill that he uses these, these metaphors for us. And um, in, in, in its purposes, and just get straight to the point, the purpose isn't to dissect the metaphor, even though we 'll have to do some of that today the 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 purpose is to is to figure out what a metaphor is for, and that is for us to delight to engage, to see something more beautiful and different for gratitude and for the goodness and greatness of God. so a metaphor, its purpose is to is to point beyond itself to something other, often more profound, and often greater than the thing itself. And we're all familiar with metaphors. I mean, you got Aristotle who said the the greatest thing by far is to have a command of a metaphor. Robert Foss said if you don't have a good metaphor for something, you really don't understand it. And we know metaphors. We have Shakespeare's metaphors. The world is a stage, right? Life is something that we're just performers on. And of course you have Sir Elton John You lived your life like a candle in the wind. Marilyn Monroe as flickering wick. But you also have really other important metaphors like that's as welcome as an outhouse breeze. Or hanging in there like a hair in a biscuit. Or one of my personal favorites, spread out like a warm plate of grits. Hat tip to Emery Lee Carver. And then one of also my personal favorites, because I can use it with because I am one, slapped him like a red-headed stepchild. But then you have, like, hip-hop who has it, too, some of the great metaphors, like Talib Kweli's, coming from the deep black like the Loch Ness, now bring apocalypse like the heart of darkness. Or, I'm like shot clocks, interstate cops, and blood clots. My point is, your flow gets stopped. And then we must also turn to presidential candidate Kanye West. (laughs) You're not supposed to laugh out loud; it interrupts. Nobody. I ain't here to argue about his facial features or here to convert atheists into believers. I'm just saying, like school needs teachers, the way Kathy needs Regis. That's the way I need Jesus. And I hope that that actually has our minds and our hearts. Remember, the scripture's full of these things. God is a lion. It doesn't say God is like a lion in these 16 ways. And we're supposed to be caught up in that, to see and hear and imagine with a holy sanctification of what he is and what he is to us and for us. And this is how precisely the God of the universe does Psalm 23. He starts with an extended metaphor, a metaphor that's got lots of, uh, of, of analogs along the way, spots along the way to get off, but it's still about the same thing. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. Green pastures and still waters is where this shepherd takes us. Good and comfy places for the sheep. Beautiful lush lands like a soft blanket, picnic blanket on the banks of the Yadkin or on the Urinalda house lawn with some village juice or some kombucha or some foothills beverage. You're sitting there beside still waters to quench your thirst in a good and beautiful place. And then he takes us into paths of righteousness. And this is right paths, better translated. It's like when I first got here and I was always confused which way to go at five points. Or like now still eight years living here getting lost in sherwood again and again and again and that he is with us right emmanuel god with us attentive and present, present to guide us to the right place and your rod and your staff the tools of a shepherd and we'll get to more of that later see this 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 extended metaphor is about his provision for us of body and of soul You shall not want. Let me be clear about this. This is not saying this means you're going to get whatever you want. In fact, sometimes it means that his provision is to change your wanter, to not give you what you want, but to give you something even better than that. And other times he he fulfills this provision by giving you exactly what you want. I shall not be in want because I will ultimately be provided for for you. We all know that we can thank God for unanswered prayers, hat tip Garth. It may mean because God so affected us that he stopped our wants that were mislongings, longings. And that's a good and great provision. He makes me lie down. He leads me in these right paths. These are a guidance, a forced act upon us. Uh, God guides us like sheep. He moves us through things. Sometimes he forces us to rest, a forced sabbatical, if you will, a shabbating, if you will. Look, I wasn't apt to take an extra two weeks off this summer, but the elders guided me in it. They made me rest to lead me beside still waters and calming places. They made me take a right path that was good for me. And you know this too, to disregard God's guidance is to live genuinely dangerously. And to live within the freeing law and love of God is where it goes well for us. And yet sheep protect as well. I mean, shepherds protect as well, protect their sheep. Even though I walk through death's valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is literally a metaphor of the craggy crevices in the Rocky Mountain terrain, cut so deep that, that literally no sun could get in for, for significant parts of the day. You could barely see the sun. It's like sometimes if you've ever been in a really big city and you just can't find the spot where you can see the sun or the sun actually comes in. Maybe you can see it from the top, but it's always in dark shadows. This is a metaphor in the metaphor, and it's a metaphor of death. This means that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, our Lord, means that he's there for us in life and in death. You don't want a religion that can't handle gravesides or wakes or funerals or lost mentors or lost parents or lost children. If it can't hold up in the emergency room or in the ambulance, it ain't worth having. But the promise here is that he is our shepherd in life and death, amidst death itself. I will shepherd you all the days of your life, all the way into eternal life. And he uses these instruments, a rod and a staff, a staff that guides and gently moves us uh, forward. And uh, it's not a passive instrument. It definitely moves us along. And sometimes we may need a little bit more push. The rod has the same purpose, but more significant. And it's not just for us, but to beat things that are trying to hurt us. A wolf comes out of the rocks, right, to eat a sheep. And like some special forces operative, he springs into action and wallops him on the head as they scamper away under the power of his rod. And rod's also used for sheep sometimes. And if you've walked with Jesus long enough, you know you've gotten a bonk or two, and I have too. But it is for our good. It is not to have us run away from him. Or from his people, but to bring us back in on that path of righteousness, that right path through the very valley of death. This, this is an image of this incredible care of a shepherd who attends to his sheep, connects with them, knows them by name, and they know the sound of his voice. God is our shepherd, it's telling you that we have the freedom of knowing God's protection and guidance and, 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 and this intimate love and this intimate discipline, this intimate care for us, that he is with us. You can run around the field as much as you want, and the shepherd who has an eye on you all the time in the kingdom beauty of his pasture, he is the good shepherd that lets you run, and if you need be, he'll, he'll, he'll push you along one way or another, and sometimes by his great mercy he'll conquer us on our heads. But it's all for, for our good so that we can run and play and be sheep-like, enjoy the, the, the pasture that he oversees. So we want to lean into this beautiful discipline from him. We want to lean into it. And so the application for us as a people is to drink deeply of this, of this guide shepherd, this protecting shepherd, this, um, this correcting shepherd, and this providing shepherd. Because he is present with us in the middle of it. Known, us known intimately. Friends, we are the body of Christ. And we drink deep of that so that we can display that to one another. Y'all, as Chris said in the announcements, get on each other's porches as much as possible. Send letters, make phone calls. Try to do it off the screen if you can. Be together as you can, outside meals and pop-up parties, social distance and under 25. Go to Redeemer at home and be with the people of God. This will be the scalable reality that lets us return anyway. Give yourself to this and let no one who calls upon the name of Christ go in want. We have provision from the very hand of God to make sure that your cup overflows. Reach out to our deacadent. Go online. Help us be the conduit of this grace and mercy. The next metaphor, which I've already kind of alluded to with the cup, it's a different kind of metaphor, but you get it too. It's a metaphor that actually is uses the actions of something to point to what it's talking about. He ruffled his feathers. Nothing about a bird in there. Shut your trap. doesn't really say anything. It's shut your mouth is what it means. But it's all implied. Chris gave me one yesterday. He could sell ketchup popsicles to a woman with white gloves, which I thought was pretty interesting. There's an ability in describing action that declares what the an- analogy is. That's an implied metaphor. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. What is the analog, the, the metaphor that for? To tell us that God is our host. preparing a table for me. You know this, his welcome and his hospitality. Redeemer, you have spread the table with delicious food and drink for many in our midst. Continue to do that even in the context that we have. And when he sets that table, it is bounteous, right? It's not just a welcome. It's a welcome into the bounty of the kingdom of God. The head anointed with oil, the cup overflowing. He is not a stingy host. Jesus must be Italian. See, in Italy, if you just say you want a little food, you say un po, and that means you get five times as much as you want. If you say un po de piu, you get twice as much as you want on the second helping. If you say basta, that means you get a significant portion of food. Basta means stop. But if you say troppo, which means overflowed, or whatever else it means, done, done, You won't get any more. The cup overflows. It's kind of chic to have these really big wine glasses with like two ounces of wine in them, but that seems a little stingy in my mind. We have 55 gallon drums of grace and overflowing love of water and bounty that comes from our Lord. God is not a stingy host and he welcomes us. Isaiah says, on this mountain of the Lord of hosts, we will make He will make for all of our peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. This is an image of the kind of host our Lord is. And it's in the presence of those who would hurt us, of our enemies. For those of us who are experiencing the panic the need to control, or even the enemies of our own besetting sin where we are our worst enemies, or amid our shared enemy, COVID-19, he will set a table for us. In every table, every table we set, every meal we have with another, every meal we even have on our own, is a reminder that he provides this kind of welcome and this kind of bounty for us. Friends, as Chris talked about, we are trying to, with all we got to figure out what's going to happen with the Lord's Supper and how we can do it and we can scale it up as, as, as we be able to move inside eventually, Lord willing, and, and have larger groups together. We've got all sorts of plans ready uh, to, 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 to push out and perfect for us. And we're going to need do, to do it with trial and error and figure out what's best and do it. And there's a proposal coming before the elders, and it'll run by the COVID team, and hopefully that'll all be ready for you on the 30th. But hear this. Every Lord's Supper you have ever had has always been a foretaste of the great Lord's Supper that we will have the wedding feast of the Lamb. All of them are paltry compared to that great day. All of us both provide for us and leave us for longing. And that will happen again. Even if we can gather with 400 people in this room again, and, or 500 people in this room, take the supper together again, there will still be an inch, a smidge of it that is still just the foretaste of his provision for us, which is eternal. The last, or the second to last metaphor is a, is a different kind of metaphor altogether. It's a metaphor of illusion. I don't know if you've read, um, say, either the Gettysburg Address or... Uh, Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech in a while. But in the Martin Luther King I Have a Dream speech, he says, Five score years ago. Five score years ago. What is he doing there? Well, what he's doing is he's making an allusion to Abraham Lincoln's four score and seven years ago, which opened the Gettysburg Address. His illusion is an effective way of calling out parallels between these two historic moments. And he's also, what he's doing is he's saying, even though this is kind of a sophisticated way of doing it, it's a very rewarding thing to, de- to detect what the object of those illusions would be. One day, when we make an allusion to the Twin Towers or to Katrina, maybe one day it'll need a footnote because not everyone will have it in their imagination. And that's what's kind of going on here. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me make sure you understand this, that there's this thing that is following people into the house of God, into the city of God. And what you do is, much like fourscore, that one word pings you to something else, so would this verb follow. It's actually, and I don't say this much, a really weak translation of a verb, because most of our translations are just freaking awesome. But this one is just way too weak. The examples in scripture of this are of bloodlust vengeance. Pharaoh pursues the Israelites across the Red Sea by following them, same word. When someone was guilty of manslaughter or accused of manslaughter, the family of the victim was allowed to follow them for vengeance and justice. But what they were doing, what was happening, and in what's happening in this passage is that a vengeance, that, that blood lust is actually not someone trying to kill, but goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy are pursuing us all the days of life. The bloodlust is the pursuit of God's loving kindness that assures us and is pushing us into the dwelling place of the house of the Lord forever. And together, those, those images create an image of the cities of refuge that, occurred, that happened in Israel's uh, common life. It's an illusion that, that every Hebrew hero would understand that there were these safe houses or safe places in cities uh, and in the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah in which either perpetrators or per- people who were blamed could claim a right of asylum. That the blood vengeance against them, if they reached these cities, were allowed to live there even because of their sin. Golan and Ramoth and Bozar and Kedesh and Shechem and Hebron, those were the places where there was am- amnesty and asylum, a place where you would run to the city of refuge. It's an amazing thing to think that our Lord describes himself as one who uses goodness and mercy to chase us into a place where blood guilt is no more. Look, friends, this is one of the greatest poems in the Bible and maybe all of history. Every single noun and verb in this passage has an arrow on it, directly or indirectly, elusively or allegorically, to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the shepherd, the host, and the city of refuge. Let's see if I can do this. Allegory, the one to one relationship, like like Christian on Pilgrim's Progress, is in one sense the simplest of all metaphors. And the simplest reality of this passage is that Psalm 23 equals Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus says that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I shall not want. Matthew tells us that Jesus gives us what we want before we even ask it. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture in me. Our Lord Jesus said that. He leads me beside still waters. He said, peace be still and the winds and the waves die down to nothing restores my soul. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls where he's calling us to run to him away from our folly, embracing the discipline and the difficulty of the life among our enemies from COVID to our own souls, our own selves and to run to him. But he leads me in paths of rightness, to right paths for his namesake. Jesus, uh, John says that he calls his own sheep by name, and leads them out. Our Lord God is leading us amid this time. It doesn't always make sense. We're not always making the right steps, but he is leading us. We, 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 th- this metaphor is for us to, to imagine and dream and believe and hope again that he is doing that very thing. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus says, in following him, not only will he have walked us through death and into life, not only are we resurrected with him, died in him and resurrected in him, and seat at the right hand of the Father, that every valley shall be filled. Every mountain will be made low. The crooked roads will become straight and the rough ways smooth. He tells us that we're not going to fear any evil because we didn't receive a spirit It makes us a slave again to fear, but receive the spirit of sonship, for you are with me. He ends his gospel that I will be with you until the ends of the earth. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. I think, thought of different ways that this is true when they put the crowns on his head and they put a staff in his hand and they, they took the staff out of his hand and they hit him with it using it like a rod and they spit on him. They struck him with it on the head. He took that kind of evil discipline, awful hatred, and turned it into a way of doing love to us, receiving our just deserts, and giving us a new way of being in the world. And he prepares a table for us us? Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And he does it in the presence of his enemies. <laughs> Think of the last supper. The one who has betrayed him, or who would betray him, would be there. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, offered it, saying, offered it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. The cup that overflows, which was a cup of wrath to be poured out on all men who rebelled against God, becomes a cup of mercy, a sweet sip of drink because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we've done, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, and we've become hope we, we become heirs having the hope of eternal life. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Friends, somewhere around verse 4, it moves from, this is who he is, and it changes from third person to second person. This is who you are, which shows that the psalmist, David himself, made it just from an idea into embracing the good shepherd, embracing the true host and embracing the city of refuge that is our Lord Jesus. The funny thing, the weird thing, I don't even know what to think about it in terms of justice and all that, you had to go run into the city of God, and you, might, you had to stay there, or that asylum would no longer be true of you. That is until the death of the high priest. And then when the high priest died, you were free. Jesus is our high priest. He's our shepherd. He's our host. And he's our city of refuge. Run to him and be free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, enough dissecting. Let us just glory And wonder about these things that you say about you. And let it turn into worship. New life. Joyful obedience. And hope. We pray in your name. Amen.